page 799, Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and the prophets. This mystery is that, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the workings of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the mystery that we're going to look at today. Thank you for Paul writing, writing this and, and, and helping us understand it, uh, revealing it for us. We, we ask for your Holy Spirit to help apply this to our hearts, to help us understand in our minds, uh, and help us to live it out in our lives. Uh, we love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, I like riddles. I like mysteries. I like riddles. Does anyone here like riddles? Good riddles. Okay, so we have a couple of people. Uh, I'm incredibly bad at riddles. Like, I like the idea of riddles, I suppose. Uh, But I found one on Reddit, which I I guess was an advertisement that I wanted to share with you, and I would ask you to to not shout out the answer, because we have a few select people that like to shout out the answers when I do this sort of thing. Uh, So this is the riddle. It says, I am the destroyer of mountains, the killer of kings. I always fly by, yet I don't have wings. I can end basketball games or marriages with similar ease. And though I flow like a stream, only water can freeze. I've murdered parents and children and houseplants galore, yet despite all of this, you always want more. Who am I? Do you think you have an answer to this? You can whisper it to the person next to you if you want. Uh, I know that most of you are thinking... This is Nicolas Cage, uh, for sure. Uh, That's actually not the correct answer. I saw that as someone's guess on Reddit. I thought it was funny. Uh, So the the correct answer, anyone want to shout out what it is? Time. Good thing you got it right. Uh, Time. Uh, Why do we like riddles? It's because they're they're fun to think about. You you pause and you, you reflect. And if you can figure out the answer, well, you feel pretty good. 
right? You feel pretty smart. Now, if you can't figure out the answer, was there anyone who couldn't figure out what it was? Anyone bold enough to, okay, quite a few. Well, you feel maybe a little uh, embarrassed, I don't know. Um, but it's nice when you get a riddle and you have that aha moment. I'm going to give you one more chance. Well, I guess two more chances, but here's another one I brought that's kind of fun. A horse jumps over a tall building and onto a priest who is immediately taken away, but only for a short while. What am I talking about? This one is different. I don't know if it's harder or not, because I'm not very good at gauging riddles. It's just different. Does anyone uh, think they know the answer to this one? Who, who said that one? That's right, chess. It's the board game chess. It's just describing it in kind of a weird way. Uh, so we have uh, some good people. I guess the, like our smart group is like right over there. Uh, it's very, very singular. Uh, sorry, guys, uh, for the rest of us. Well, we're going to look at another riddle today. We're going to look at our passage. Our passage talks about a mystery. It talks about a riddle. And the Apostle Paul tells us this riddle, and it's one of the oldest riddles of all time. Uh, but it has been solved. Paul reveals the answer in our text today, but I have I've kind of summarized this riddle in my own words, and this is going to be the outline of my message today. But this is Paul's riddle in, in Jonathan's words. Here's the riddle. What is unknown, now known. Two, now one, weak, yet strong. What is unknown, now known. Two, now one, weak, yet strong. Why should you care about this riddle? Well, this riddle can change your life. <laughs> this, this riddle, I would argue, is changing your life right now. And when we understand this riddle, it helps us praise God. It helps us marvel at God's grace. It helps us understand God's grace just a little bit more, his love for us. And we're looking at Ephesians chapter 3 where Paul talks about this mystery, this riddle. And in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is about to say a prayer for the believers, but he interrupts himself to marvel at this mystery. So verse 1, if you just read verse 1, it says this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, I think most, if not all of your translations, have a dash there, certainly in the NIV. But that means Paul is about to interrupt his train of thought. He's about to go on a divergent path. Now, his train of thought picks up in verse 14. But we didn't read through verse 14 today. We're just going 1 through 13. So next week, we'll pick up on his train of thought, which is a prayer. Where he continues, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. So we want to stop and say, well, what diverts Paul's attention? Like, what takes him off on this this, this side trail, what does he find to be so amazing? What mystery just speaks to his heart? And so I want us to look at the first part of this riddle. What is unknown now known? Now I'm going to read through verses 2 through 5, so you can follow along uh, in your Bible as well. So this is the beginning. He says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. 
Now, Paul is speaking to the believers in Ephesus, so it would be kind of modern-day Turkey, and he begins by explaining his job description. He is an administrator. We see that in verse 1. He's going about the administration of God's grace. Now, at Cornerstone, we have an office administrator, and she does things like order supplies. She just waved her hand. Uh, she prepares the bulletin. She tells me what to do. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good deal. Uh, my only complaint is that she's just too perfect. She also writes my sermons. No, I'm just kidding. She doesn't do that. Uh, but she takes care of church stuff, right? She helps the church run. And Paul does a similar thing. See, this word administrator is a, a Greek word. It's oikonomia, and it means to manage a household, Oikonomia, manage a household. What is this household that Paul is helping manage? Well, it's the household of grace. It's God's ministry of grace. He's sharing and building a people that are, that are built and founded on grace, on God's grace. Grace is receiving a gift we don't deserve. It's God's merit bestowed on us without us doing anything. That's what grace is. It's not something that we can earn. And Paul is preaching and sharing this message. He's building us up. He's building the believers up in grace. Now, this ties nicely into our sermon series, right? Our sermon series is we need grace. We need to grow in grace. We need to be built up in grace. And so this is a hint at the answer to our riddle. That's something to do with grace. See, when I say God Uh, What is unknown is now known. It's saying, you know, it's now been revealed. Something has been revealed, and it's something that's been revealed by God's grace. God has revealed this mystery, who? Through Christ Jesus. Into the mystery of Christ, verse 4. Now, Paul goes on to say something else. He says, God has withheld this mystery from previous generations. So that could be people before the time of Paul. That could be all the people in the Old Testament. Perhaps even some believers who hadn't yet heard Paul's writings. So God hinted at this mystery then in the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, we actually see hints of, uh, of this mystery, of this riddle. It's a, it's, a, it's a riddle that's been inserted into Scripture by God, that he's been, been speaking through the prophets, telling us about this mystery. And I wanted to, to highlight some of those hints in Scripture of this mystery. When God promised to bless the father of the Israelite people, Abraham, in one of the first chapters of the Bible, he hinted at it. So this is Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, God is saying what? I'm going I'm to take your descendants, Abraham, and I'm going to use your descendants to bless more than just your descendants. This is a hint The answer to our riddle, to our mystery, and to the one in the scriptures. How about the prophet Isaiah, about 700 BC? He he said something about Egypt and Assyria and Israel. Now, if you don't know anything about these nations, 
Assyria was kind of the northern nation that was against Israel. And Egypt was kind of the, the southern nation that was against uh, Israel. They were kind of sandwiched in between them. They're not particularly friends with Israel. But, but here we, we find a beautiful passage in Isaiah 19 that, that hints that God's going to do something. Isaiah 19, verses 23 through 25 say that. In that day... There will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. And that day Israel will be the third along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. Here's another hint pointing to this mystery that Paul talks about. How about the prophet Zechariah? He prophesies to Jerusalem after the exile. Here we find God's hint once more. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 11. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. See, God has this plan, this mystery that's unfolding, that's not always super clear, but it's hinted at throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, that God is going to use the Israelite people to bless the whole world, to expand beyond the Israelite people, even to the enemies of the Israelites and the Jewish people. And it's through Christ Jesus and the New Testament apostles and prophets that we receive this answer. The mystery is solved by Christ Jesus, by the apostles like Paul and by the New Testament prophets, by those writers of the scriptures. This mystery of grace is revealed to us through the scripture. And it's a mystery that's taken a while to unfold. But once you, once you see the mystery, once, once it's revealed, it has this beautiful sense about it. Now this week I, I went and I picked up my, my parents at the airport and we took a different route home. So usually we kind of go you know, up 93, up Route 3, and, and we go in kind of this front way in Chelmsford. But this time, I went all the way up 93 and then down 495 and then on this back, back route. And, and I heard my dad say at one moment, ah, this is where we are. When we were almost home, we were coming in the back entrance. It was a mystery. There were landmarks that, that, that helped us identify where we were. You know, they knew that I was driving, so I probably wasn't going to get lost on my way home. It's, there's no guarantees, but it probably wasn't going to get lost. And then finally, we realized where we were, and it was like this nice feeling of, ah, we're like two minutes from the house. This is great. We're just coming in the back way. Paul has been saying that God has been taking his people on a journey. He's been taking them on this journey, and, and sometimes we get lost on our journeys. Sometimes we forget God's plan, or we, we, we lose the map. And then suddenly God does something, God says something, God reveals something, and we understand where we are in the Scriptures. I think each of our lives parallel this as well. We go on these journeys, right? Where are you in your faith journey, in your spiritual journey? Where are you walking? Well, God wants to bring you home. God wants to guide you to your destination, to, to home with Christ Jesus. 
God is the one who reveals, who makes mysteries known. Maybe God seems unknowable or unknown to you. Well, God likes to to reveal himself. In fact, we have a whole book called A Revelation, where the unknown God has, has made himself known through the scriptures, through the Bible. That unknown God, he made himself known in the person of Christ Jesus. He was born. He he took on flesh. He dwelt among us and he walked among us and, and taught us. The unknowable God making himself knowable is, is the most central core part of Christianity. Now that's not the answer to our mystery today, but that is how we arrive. At our mystery. That's, that's how we arrive at the answer to the riddle that Christ Jesus makes this riddle possible. It's through Christ Jesus that the many nations can be joined to God's people. I hope that if you have not come to Christ yet, that you will. Because that's when the, the mystery is solved. That's when we come home. And we're going to continue our riddle. What is unknown now known? And it continues, right? What is Two, now one. What is two, now one? Now, I assume you probably want to know the answer to this riddle that I've kind of been teasing at throughout this sermon. Well, we actually find uh, Paul giving the answer in verse 6. He says, This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. This means the two people, the Jewish people, the non-Jewish people, the Gentile people, somehow through Christ Jesus, they are becoming one people, the people of God. And we actually see that Paul said earlier, he's like, I've written about this already. I've already written. Well, that's just talking about earlier in the book. Earlier in the book of Ephesians, Paul was writing at this, writing about this. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 says this. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So Paul is writing to the Ephesians, many of them who weren't Jewish, saying, you have riches in God's holy people. He's talking about the people of Israel. How about Ephesians chapter 2? But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You you non-Jews, you were far away because, well, you had to get circumcised, you had to keep the dietary laws, you had to to do the sacrifices, you had to do all these things in order to become Jewish. And there's this mystery that somehow in Christ that has all been fulfilled, you no longer have to do those things. You can just come to Christ. Paul speaks again of this mystery in other parts of the New Testament. In Romans chapter 11 and Galatians chapter 3. In Romans 11 we see this. It says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way all Israel will be saved. The two becoming one. They're coming together. Galatians chapter 3, 
Verse 28 and 29, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you finally want to know the answer to our riddle tonight, what is unknown, now known, what is two, now one, what is weak, yet strong, does anyone want to guess? Does anyone want to throw out the answer to, to this riddle? <laughs> the church. It's the church. It's our church. It's the people of God, the church. The church is this beautiful mystery that God promised in the Old Testament and revealed through the New Testament. The church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. It's not made up of one particular ethnic group. It can be made up of anyone. It's the people who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You're a part of the church. Now, can you choose to keep those dietary laws if you want or to take a day of rest on the Sabbath on a Saturday? Well, certainly you can. But you don't have to do those things in order to be accepted into Christ's family, in order to be a part of the church. See, instead of Jewish people being saved by keeping the law and commandments, which they could not do, they are saved through faith in Christ Jesus. Jewish people are not saved apart from Christ Jesus. And instead of us Gentile people, us non-Jewish people being saved by doing good works or by living moral lives, which we could not do, we are saved by faith in Christ Jesus. And together, all believers in Christ Jesus become one new people, the church. Now, there are lots of blessings that we receive by becoming Christians, right? We, when we confess our sins and put our faith in Christ Jesus, this is what it means to repent and believe in Christ, we receive eternal life. It's a pretty good bonus. We, we, we get to be a part of the new heavens and the new earth when Christ returns. We, we dwell with Jesus forever. We will have never-ending joy. But there are actually blessings for today that we also get to receive. It's not just future blessings. There are also present blessings. And one of those blessings that is made tangible is being a part of the church, being a part of God's family. Now, when I say church, I'm talking about the, the big C church. So Paul is writing a, a small C church, like kind of a local church in Ephesus, in the, the surrounding church. But he is addressing all believers from all times and all places. That's the big C, kind of a universal or invisible church. But how do we take part in that big C church? It's by being a member. It's by being a part of a local church, a small church, a small C church. That's how we receive the blessings of being a part of the big church. See, membership down here demonstrates membership up there. Richard Koken, he wrote Ephesians for you. He says, church is, not, church is meant to be a team game. A church is never about one person or one kind of people. In other words, we don't want to separate ourselves from the local church community. We want, don't want to say, oh, I repent, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I, I don't really like church, and so I'm, I'm going to separate myself. Well, no, you're supposed to be a part of a body, a part of a, a community. That's, that demonstrates your, your unity with all believers. And Paul, in verse 6, what is he using? He's, he's using an illustration of a body, members together of one body. Now, we each have bodies, right? Every, everyone, like, touch, touch your ear, right? 
You have an ear. Okay, I want to touch one of your, your fingers. Technically, I guess you are already touching your fingers. You can uh, touch your elbow. Okay. Uh, if you do CrossFit, you can touch your bicep. I'm just kidding. Uh, right? You need all these parts, right? There's nothing that would be worth, like, separating, you know? And that's what we do when we separate ourselves from the church community. When we say, I, I don't need to be a part of the church, we say, oh, like, I am an elbow, and I am good as an elbow. Well, an elbow without an arm uh, or a bicep, it, it, can't, it can't do any good. <laughs> it doesn't function. It just lays there on the ground. See, we're, a, we're, we're called to be a part of a, of a church community that is made up of, a, of diverse body parts. <laughs> and that means we're not going to all look alike. We're not going to all agree on everything. We're not going to sound alike. We're not going to come from the same backgrounds. We're not going to be the same ages. We're not going to have uh, the same amount of money or, or uh, the same careers we're going to be a, a diverse set of people because we are reflecting the body. The body is made up of many parts. One of the things we have as a church is this thing called a target audience. Now, many of you might not know about this. This is written in our, in our uh, Cornerstone playbook. It says this. It says, our target audience is families with children and youth, specifically ages 19 and below with parents generally 25 to 54 years old which equals an estimated 50% of the population of Westford. We emphasize reaching the unchurched through the design of our ministry and outreach. So when we were planting Cornerstone, when we started Cornerstone, we realized that we can't meet every need in the community. And so we said, okay, we're going to choose a specific segment that we're going to try to orient our, our, our missions and our ministry towards. And I think that's an okay thing to do. But at the end of the day, we don't want to have a small segment like 10 years from now, five years from now. We want to grow and expand our ministry so that we're just, we're focusing on everyone God calls us to. So if you're not in that target audience, please don't leave us. Like we want you to be here. You're an important and valuable member. But we do want to grow. We want to make sure that first, we're always focusing on God's target audience, right? On God's diverse body. So what is unknown now known? What is two now one? Well, the church. Now in our last part, Paul tells us that God is doing something through the church. This is the last part of our riddle. What is weak yet strong? What is weak yet strong? Verses 7 through 13 say this. It says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. See, Paul's job 
part of, part of being an administrator of a household of grace, part of stewarding God's grace is making God's grace known. And it's making God's grace known to all peoples, to Jews, to Gentiles. Paul is saying, it's been my job not to just preach to the Gentile uh, Jewish people, but also to preach to the non-Jews, the, the Gentiles. But it's been hard. It's been difficult. Paul says in verse 1 that he is a prisoner. He's sitting in prison writing this letter. In verse 8, he calls himself the least of all the Lord's people. In verse 13, he says that he is suffering. Don't be discouraged. I'm suffering, but don't be discouraged. What does that tell us? It tells us that Paul is weak. (laughs) Paul is not strong. And Paul is a model for us as the church. I want to zero in on verse 10. In verse 10, Paul says, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What what helped this kind of stick out to me was that I I recently been reading some like sci-fi fantasy books, and I just finished one. There's this really strong character, this, this antagonist, this bad guy, and he calls himself divine. He has this, so many powers. He's so strong that no one can defeat him. He thinks he's unbeatable. And he's defeated by this other character, this girl, who has one of the weakest powers, one of the most useless powers, that when people look at her, they think, ah, you're useless. The weak defeats the strong. Is there anything weaker than the church? <laughs> Is there anything that's more broken, <laughs> more uh, uh, disunified and sinful and, and sad sometimes than the church. I'm not, I'm not calling us out. I'm just saying as we experience the church, you all come from churches. And they've come in different shapes and sizes. But God is using This weak, small institution to do what? To defeat Satan himself. To defeat the evil powers. It says the the authorities. That's a a reference to Satan. We'll see that in chapter 6. To the rulers. That's That's a reference to Satan and his enemies. Why does God do this? Why does God use weak things to overthrow powerful things? Because... The, the powerful thing, and Satan is powerful. Like, let's not understate that. He has power. He has authority. But God uses us. God uses his people. God uses the church to, to just heap shame upon him because we're weak. And that, that magnifies Christ. That magnifies us. And it brings defeat and shame upon the evil one. And so that should be an encouragement to us as a church that when you feel like we're stumbling around, maybe you're on a ministry team or you're volunteering and you're like, things don't always go well. When you feel like we're young or stumbling about or small, remember, remember that Christ is using us to overthrow Satan. <laughs> it's really beautiful. We're, we're, we're an instrument of supernatural victory. And I think that's encouraging, that we are weak and yet we are strong. And how does God do this? Well, we follow in the footsteps of Paul. 
What does Paul do? He makes the mystery known. And so as believers, what are we called to do? We're called to make the mystery known. To make this mystery known that, 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 that God welcomes people from any, any tribe, any ethnicity, any, any background into this family. There's nothing like the church in the world that can unite so many people from so many different ethnicities and, and wealth backgrounds and, and, and places in the church. It is a global movement. God is using us, and how does he do it? When we make the mystery known. And so think about your life. How can you make the mystery known of what Christ Jesus has done? How can you share with those around you? Maybe it's like our frontline moment earlier that Mark just asked a question. What do you think about Jesus? And then that, that starts a conversation. I know that I often come up with excuses of why I don't want to share about Christ. And it's usually things like, well, like I, you know, maybe I don't know enough, or maybe it's not the right timing, or I don't know how they're going to respond. And it's kind of like I'm saying, well, if I was stronger, then I would be better. But Jesus uses us in our weakness. He uses us because we're not strong. So if you need someone to walk alongside with you to help you share the love of Christ with those around you, please come talk to Mark <laughs> or to myself. Uh, really, anyone around in this church. Because together we want to make the mystery known. And the cool thing is that the mystery is still being made known in some ways. Like, we don't know who God is called. We don't know the people that are going to believe in Jesus. And so we simply make the mystery known and let God reveal more of the mystery to us. So what's my kind of closing, final, big idea? It's this. What is unknown, now known, two, now one, weak, yet strong? It's not just the church our church. Didn't you know that I was going to tell like a riddle about you guys today, about us? This mystery has been made known through the scriptures. So before time began, God wrote a riddle, and as history unfolded, God whispered hints of this mystery, this riddle, in the scriptures. And God sent his only son, Christ Jesus, to make the, the mystery possible, to, to further reveal the mystery. And it's only through Christ's death and resurrection that then Paul can preach that anyone who believes in Christ Jesus, whether they are Jewish or they are non-Jewish, whether they are Jew or Gentile, anyone who believes in Christ can be a part of our church, of this, this amazing group of people, and you truly are amazing, that is overthrowing Satan himself and the evil one. What is unknown, now known, to now one, weak, yet strong? Our church, us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing this mystery to us. Would we be encouraged that we're your church and you're using us and you're working through us and it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, help us to make this mystery known to others. Lord, if there's someone we need to share it with, and there are so many people, help us to do that. Lord, I pray a special prayer for anyone here or 
on our front lines that doesn't know you, that's going through life, and life seems a mystery and you're a mystery, would you reveal yourself to them? Would you you work through us to do that? Would you work through your word? Bring other people in their life that can speak to that as well. Help us do this together. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that we get to be part of your people. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.